Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Jesus, Teacher, and Me. I just want to give everyone a disclaimer as you are entering into this episode. I, we had some technical difficulties with the recording, and particularly on my end, so you'll notice kind of some in and out as far as volume goes. I did everything that I could to salvage it. Uh, it took some time uh, the day before this episode drops to really try to make it as good as I possibly could. Uh, I have solved the problem, uh, just we didn't really have time to re-record, so I'm uh, going to give this to you raw as it is, and I hope that you uh, it's edifying to you. So without further ado, uh, we send it over to us and enjoy this episode, episode 70 on Bonhoeffer's Ethics and Resistance. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Jesus, Dietrich, and Me. This is episode number 70, and it, as we just said before we started recording, it's really hard to believe that we have been at this for roughly 70 weeks. And Ooh, how biblical. How, yeah, that's, we should do something special. We should break out the whiskey. Mm, book of Daniel, if you don't know. <laughs> right. So... We've been at this for a while, and I think it's been it's been really fun. And for those of you that have been uh, listening from the get go, uh, we certainly certainly do appreciate you. And uh, this has been this has been great from everything talking about the cost of discipleship through uh, through different parts of we did a, three, four, five, six weeks. I don't remember exactly on uh, creation and fall, which actually turned out to be really fun and some of our most listened to episodes and. Uh, kind of walking through a lot of his, a lot of Dietrich's sermons and different times, and what is, how does that relate to us? And then recently, of course, uh, if you've been following, uh, we've been going through uh, this book, which has not been written by Dietrich, but certainly contains much of his influences and a lot of, um, if you were to say, an uh, exegetical uh, of of Dietrich's work uh, called the Cross of Reality, which has been which has been really fun for us, and I think that. Uh, we've got some really good feedback so far from people that we know that listen to it, and um, and again, if you do have feedback, if you want us to to add onto something, if you want us to uh, to talk about something else, uh, if you just had a question based on something that one of us said, uh, if you were uh, egregiously offended, uh, then certainly uh, we would love to hear that as well, uh, so that we can talk about that and. Uh, this is just a good place. I think it's a good, been a good outlet. It's been a good uh, resource, hopefully for you, and we've enjoyed doing that. So today, we're going to be continuing in that book, The Cross of Reality, talking about this the chapter entitled Resistance and Ethics. And essentially what we're going to see today as we kind of walk through this, and it may actually turn into a two-parter, not quite sure where this is going to go, because uh, there's a lot to be discussed from this chapter and in this topic but um, the, essentially, this is where Dietrich is going to, we're going to talk about one of, would you, how would you describe Dietrich's uh, ethics, the, the book that he wrote that was ethics, the, the dissertation or the, the super long life yeah. work of Bonhoeffer, ethics? In a single word, dense. Dense, yeah. Not, yeah. A, not a book that you'd take on a boat with you if you're going to go read. Uh, with yeah, it's not a, on the cruise boat or <laughs> right. on the beach read. Or right, right. Not but, even on a coffee shop, right? Right, right, right. But uh, he's going to talk about that. He's going to talk about the different the differences between the two kingdoms, the two realms. We'll get to that in a minute. But uh, before we we get to that, I do think it's important for us because this is going to this is going to lead up, and it's going to be a really good foundation for what Dietrich is talking about, what Galen Barker is going to be talking about in 
uh, in the in the, the upcoming chapter. So we're going to re- revert back to the the chapter on uh, the post Finkenwald writings, which is what we talked about last week, and review just briefly the three different things that that Dietrich kind of talks about when he's referring to Christian community. Because you remember Finkenwald was the semi- it was the seminary where uh, there was was there thirty. 23 guys, 28 guys, is that what it was? I think it was 28. Mm-hmm. 28 guys. As we'll see, I think the number's 23 got drafted into the German army. Yeah, so all these all these guys are, are living together in community, and they're, they're, they're training, they're studying, they're being raised up to be leaders in the, in the face of the persecuted church. And uh, as we think about that, think about community, there's three things that, that Dietrich talks about. Pastor Hill, do you want to talk about those? Yeah, sure. So before we... Before we uh, delve into contrasting um, God's realm and the world's realm, um, we need to understand what Bonhoeffer means and doesn't mean by Christian community. And uh, he names out three things. These are, these are basically negatives. The Christian community is not. So what would be the first one? It's not a spiritual sanatorium. Um, yeah, we don't think of sanatoriums today like in his day. Sanatorium is like you go to rest, to you know, overstressed, over uh, exerted. You go to a sanatorium, which is semi-hospital, but mainly uh, a place just to decompress. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's not what the Christian community is. Right. There's a lot of people that treat the church like that, though. My escape place. Yeah. yeah, this is where this is where I go to rest. To where I, and and certainly there it is that, I, but it, but not in the way that. So dif- so the difference is so. The reason I bring this up is because I just we just preached a sermon about this about the the rest and coming to Jesus, receiving Jesus, and finding rest at church. So can you explain a little bit more? Mm-hmm. What he what he means when he says that it's not a spiritual sanatorium, so it's not just a place of just catching your breath, because it is a place to receive rest. It is a place to hear the word and to receive the sacraments. Right? It it is by all, by all the means. Come to me, and I will give you rest. Yeah. It so is that, maybe in this sense, it might help. So the church is a place where you go. I'm use military. You go to rearm, refresh, reequip so that you can go back out into the mm-hmm. the daily battle reassess yeah well not you're not gonna, not going to reassess Christ but yeah well we're reassessing what you're what you're battling right but you gather strength from your brothers and sisters you gather strength from the sacraments in the word not so that you can uh, hide behind uh, the walls but so that you can be sent forth again into the into the fray that makes any sense mm-hmm. it's it's not a fortress no it's it, not a it's not, a, not <laughs> yeah what I just described is not an escape you're not escaping the world you're getting a respite from the world but only so that you can go back out and uh, re-engage the world mm-hmm. so it's not a spiritual sanatorium the second thing is that uh, is because the community is not an escape from the world. It is not a place to run away from the world's problems, but rather pushes, is what you're just saying, but pushes the believer 
back into the world. Equips the yeah. player, right? With the sacrament and the word and with the fellowship to re-engage the world. Right. All the, the things that, that Hebrews talks about why it's important to gather for church. Mm-hmm. So then what, what would be the last thing? What do you mean by the last thing? Well, he says what the last thing is. Finally, the Christian community. Oh. It's an equipping place to to just reiterate, to, to prepare you to re-enter the fray. So like in World War II, they had something called R&R, rest and relaxation. They would pull the unit out, you know, showers, hot food, some time off. Um, booze? Well, um, private time. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Um, in order to get them back in shape and replacements, to get them back in shape, to send them back into the fray again, because the constant uh, frontline war, constant, constant without uh, a period of rest and recuperation, you get worn down, and finally you'll just collapse. So it's a, it's a necessity. Uh, what about a dream world? That's the third one, or an idealistic one. He's dismissing the ch- Christian community as a place where we labor to build the perfect church, uh, where we are all we're all you know, like the musketeers, where the musketeers say three for wait. Oh. All for one and one for all. Well, yeah, <laughs> that kind of thing. And three for one, as if it's like a... A sale, a yeah. Sale. Yeah, so he's dismissing that because that tends to be shaped, he says, by human ideals and tre- human dro- hopes and... Utopia, right? And Utopia also, he says, human egos. I mean, so what is the idealistic society, Christian society? Oh, we'll just ask Nick because he'll tell us what he thinks it ought to be, and then we'll all strive for what he. Yeah, well, that's what he's dismissing, right? So, what is he contrasting that to? Um, when we get to the new chapter, he's contrasting that to a Christocentric um, reality. So, the Christian, Christian, page three sixty-seven, the Christian ethics. And Christian community is bound by one reality, and that's the cross. Mm-hmm. Uh, that God didn't withdraw from the world, but God entered the world. And, and Christ didn't withdraw from the world, well, occasionally, but for that same R&R kind of thing without the booze. But he had to, he had to stop and pray, and he was not the energizer bunny. He had to... He's, he's a man. I mean, yeah. He's as much man as he is God, so he... He has to. He has to rest. He has to. I mean, people are always wondering how on earth is it that that Jesus slept on the boat. I'm like, well, if you were as tired as he was after doing all the things that he does, I mean, you think of, I think about Deacon John, who sometimes falls asleep here, and you have to mm-hmm. shake him, wrestle him in order to wake him up, in order to wake him up. And Jesus got tired. He needed to rest. And. That doesn't take away from his divinity. It just emphasizes to me his the, the human nature of of him. Yeah. Um, I know that I'm I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but I I loved this I love this quotation when I was reading when he says that Christ on the cross is the full expression of God's reality in and for the world, 
There the reality of God intersects with the reality of the world. Because of God's act on the cross, justification of sinners and justice in the world go hand in hand. There are two sides of one reality. Therefore, the ethical problem is not about relating two separate entities to one, but about the reality of God showing itself everywhere to be the ultimate reality. Ethics so conceived means to participate in the indivisible whole of God's reality. So God God joins his reality with ours at the cross, and God expresses the fullness of his reality at the cross, and then bringing us into that reality through the cross as well. So it's almost as if it kind of goes with what we're saying, what we've been saying for uh, you know, for for months about the the Christocentricity of Bonhoeffer's theology of Luther's theology, this is this is how it this is how God operates is by means of the cross. So three sixty seven, the author talks about what I would call the the humanistic uh, definition of ethics, and it's really two. You're asking two questions in humanistic ethics. That would be. Uh, how can I be good? And the second is, how can I do something good? Of course, the subjects of both those sentences are... Me, 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 me. Yeah. Yeah. So immediately when we've got three people in the room, how can I be good? We probably have three divergent, maybe not widely divergent, but divergent uh, differing views on what that means. How can I be good? Uh, how can I do good? Bonhoeffer says here, um, the question of the good becomes the question of participating in God's reality revealed in Christ. So good, actually, he's saying, is defined by what is the will of God. Mm-hmm. What is the will of God, not my will, and that made me think of our catechism. Yay, catechetical yeah, moment. Yeah. And we're going to ask the vicar to read us the third petition. What does this mean, and how is God's will done? Yeah, the third petition of the Lord's Prayer is, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What does this mean? The good and gracious will of God is done, even without our prayer. But we pray in this petition that it may be done among us also. How is God's will done? God's will is done when he breaks and hinders every evil plan and purpose of the devil, the world, and our sinful nature, which do not want us to hallow God's name or let his kingdom come, and when he strengthens and keeps us firm in his word and faith until we die. This is his good and gracious will. So I would boil all that down to, and we can discuss this if you want, um, to thy will be done on earth. What does this mean? It means... I should strive to be participating in not my will, but God's will. Not that I can add to in any way to the success of God's will, nor can I in any way hinder God's will, but the question is do I want to be, well, put it in a sports analogy, do I want to be on the team or not? Even if I'm riding the bench, right, I should want to be on the team. So, you know, so I think sometimes we we often we often abuse the the gift of prayer, um, or we make it we make it so incredibly lawful that it becomes burdensome. And I know we've talked about this at Family of God multiple times. Prayer, 
prayer is something that we do to help us align our wills with God's. I mean, that's that's why for years it, uh, we took it off and you replaced it with another cross. But there was that, that poem or that writing, that prayer of I consecrate myself anew. You know, Lord, do with me what you will, not not what I not what I want to do, but what is it that you want me to do? And so when we when we pray when we're praying for our loved ones, you know, for you know, we certainly you know pray for you know. I was thinking about the the, the ladies from Bible study this morning that are praying for their their friends who have cancer, and one of them is being taken off life support today, and. You know, we're praying, we've been praying for, you know, for him to be healed. And, uh, but then, you know, we, we ultimately, we put it into the hands of, hands of God. But really what we're asking is that, you know, we're boldly asking God for you to do something for, for me, which he invites us to do. But ultimately we're all, we're asking him to, the things that I want are the things that, the things that you want, Right. The, yeah. the things that Lord help the help the things that I want to be what you want and sometimes especially when it comes for you know to somebody being sick the things that we want are not what God wants and God is wanting that person to come be with them or God is wanting to witness for that person to witness through their suffering so they stay suffering and you know and for us to align our will and our wants and desires with that of God I mean, it's why Jesus says, "Seek first the kingdom of heaven." I mean, it's you're seeking and putting your mind on those kinds of things. That's what that's what that prayer, "Thy will be done," means is that it would be made known amongst us, and that He would help us to do that and align our wills with His. Not how we normally in the flesh think at all, though. No. Um, well, and then how do I know what the will of God is? <laughs> right. Yeah, I, I I am wont to say in my slightly younger days to say most of us don't want to know what the will of God is. Because if we know the will of God, then we have to say yes or no. But if I can pretend I don't know the will of God, I can just, you know, mosey through life, meandering through life, doing what I think is best for me, and I don't have to think that I've, you know, challenged God in any way because I don't really know what his will is for me. Well, what a, I mean, I'm thinking about Paul. Remember, Paul. Paul's been asking for a for a couple couple days now. We've seen him a couple of times since then. He's been he's been called and interviewed for for new jobs, and he literally said to us, "He's like, I I I don't know what God wants me to do. I don't know. You know, I I could see both. I could see this could be a call from you know a call from God. This could be a you know God inviting me into something that's that's different that's better that is that is that what he wants for me or is it Satan tempting me with fleshly desires and and things like that and I think sometimes that's really easy that all of us are I think at some point faced with those decisions so what would what would your advice be then for somebody like Paul who says I I'm being or I mean pastors do this all the time right with when, when they're fielding when they're fielding a number of when if something happens and they have two or three calls at one time, which is a very stressful and weird, but usually when when a pastor gets a call, that means that he has he has the op- the opportunity to either accept that call or to return it, which means that he's at that time is fielding two calls: one from his his congregation that he's at now, and the congregation that is calling him. Right. So how do you how do you decipher wow. between those things? Because I think these are these are things that people ask all the time. How how do I know that this is God's will? 
And if I if I guess wrong, <laughs> because I don't know. Well, let's go back to Paul, because that's the easier question. I think I said probably not not as gently as I'm saying it now that first my first evaluation is and do any of these jobs take you away from serving God in the ways which you are serving him now do the hours uh, prevent that you know these finally I'm gonna make ten more dollars an hour but I have to work on Sunday um, I can't come to the yeah, I told him it was selfish if I can't if I can't come to family of God and serve as I feel called to serve because this new job takes away from that to me that's a warning um, an alarm bell right that uh, if if it's God's purpose is for you to serve him in this place and the job is going to make that impossible then I would say yeah I don't think God would call you away from serving him I don't know what do you guys think about that no I tend I tend to agree with that I um, I, you know, uh, one of our gals asked the same question too. She had, she had a job opportunity. Uh, I said to her, choosing between working at McDonald's or Burger King, and I said, well, first question is, whose fries are better? <laughs> That's what I said too. <laughs> but yes, it's, yeah. she's a she's a, a woman who's been <laughs> who's been serving well here at the Family of God for quite some time, and just recently started started working and has been bouncing from job to job for a variety of different reasons. Um, the, the last job that she had, she actually had a really good job at Kroger, and she got COVID and, this, and then assumed that she got it from there and said she was never, ever going to go back there. Um, I didn't understand that logic. but So she, was, she had been working at both Burger King and McDonald's up until then, and both of them want her back. So she's under this. Well, how do I know which one God wants me to do? And um, yes, cynically we say which fries are the best because ultimately, I mean, it's it's okay. But cynically, I'm going to take that as a lead into your call question. Okay. So what do most teachers and called Lutheran all called workers, but yeah, pastors, they evaluate the jobs by worldly standards. Sure. Whose fries are the best? the housing situation what are the schools like how much more am i going to make what will the hours be am i going to be compatible with you know and i'm thinking wow okay where does god fit into this equation or i have had i have had i won't say who uh, people in those situations tell me that god would only call me to a higher economic situation hmm not. Doesn't sound like my God. <laughs> right, right, right. Well, that's not to say that that God won't do that. But, yeah, but if but my if criteria is, but if that's the, if that is your reasoning, if that's what you say, then I would say yes, you are. You drastically need to reevaluate. Yeah, you're evaluating things you, by the world. Right, for sure. Um, yeah, so. I mean, I think for so what so then what would your criteria then be since we're on this topic and this could actually be helpful I think for oh my for gosh. So we'll say, okay, so Nick, Nick's been, Nick gets out of seminary. Nick um, is serving at, at a congregation in, I don't know, where, where, where would you, where is the place that you would, like, where you would love to go? Like, what is, tell me. <laughs> like, what is the place that you would, like, if, if God said, if, uh, who's the, 
replacement director? Oh, that's uh, Dr. Pulse. If Dr. Pulse Dr. Says, says to... Oh, I have his book. Uh, if, if Dr. Pulse says to you, um, you know, on, on call day, he says, Nick, you are being called to this this place for your first call and you get super excited what is that what is that place what is the place that he says well, I don't I don't even know anymore <laughs> family of God oh, okay <laughs> we already we already turned your evaluation in another one's coming There's he's smarter one. than you think <laughs> okay okay so okay, we'll the say generic answer for a seminary would probably be a small country parish where you don't you get to sit in your office and study, study and okay. financial security good housing good schools all right so how about Boca, how we'll, we'll go back to Boca Raton from a couple of weeks ago so you get you get your first call to Boca Raton yeah. so you're you're making you're making 100k a year uh with a with it to start with a great school that's I know that's that's uh, it's not didn't know that was possible <laughs> yeah that's not that's not likely but we'll say for the sake of argument okay you've been there for how about this? You've been there for ten years. You you're making t- you're making hundred k. You've got a wife. You've got kids. They're in great schools. Um, and then God calls you, or you get it yeah. appears to call you. You get a call from a congregation in Southwest Detroit, where we can only afford to pay you forty five thousand dollars a year. You're gonna your kids are gonna be forced to go to one of our Lutheran schools here, or or even Detroit public schools. It's not guaranteed that that Pauline's gonna have a job. Uh, it's not there, there's all there's all these different things so it's clearly by worldly standards it's a step down how, or two or yeah, three how then do does pastor hill advise the pastor that's in that situation whoa okay i I'm thought just, you i thought just, you were going to throw that at him i'm just saying i i would say first of all i would evaluate whether you are useful to the kingdom where you are or are you are you holding the place down? Um, are you exercising the Great Commission where you are, or are you a country club manager? Um, that's a little harsh, but um, my rule in life is my personal rule in life is how do I know when God is telling me to do something? It's usually when I'm immediately uncomfortable when I. <laughs> Yeah, I, I say, uh, um, uh, really? <laughs> yeah, so as opposed to delighted at the prospect of going off and doing whatever. So it, to come to southwest Detroit, I think uh, you, you have to have a special heart, so that's part of it. I think there would be people that would be called here that would not help further the kingdom of God. Right. Oh, yeah, I can and so of, just because you're called to a place like this doesn't mean that yeah. that's where God wants you to yeah. be. Or or Franklin Avenue, like the fact that Franklin Avenue up up in Flint that they've got that they have Christian. Christian is very gifted, very special, very it, it, his talents are very specific and perfectly tailored for that mission. There's not a, there's not you, they could not just call any old pastor to mm-hmm. go and do that ministry. Yeah. And I tend to feel like that's the same way it's the same way here um you know if you were if we were to have a different senior pastor i i don't know i don't know how that if like if you weren't here pastor hill and there was another pastor from boca raton or you know houston texas or you know what you know some of these bigger churches if they were to come down here and take that take that huge pay cut and and be you know, and be, be here. I don't, you know, that's not to say they couldn't do it. I don't know. I don't know them, but who knows? 
It's just why would you do that unless you felt the call of God and a heart for this kind of ministry? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's not something you would casually do. Uh, you know, okay, I'll give up half my income and put my family at some moderate risk and uh, yeah, deal with instead of dealing with an occasional problem child, I will be dealing with them in scores every week. <laughs> yeah, uh, I I think when someone has come to that decision, they're being driven by God, yeah. or it's it's tough. It's tough. So um, then the other then put it on the other shoe. Then someone someone like like Christian, you know, at at, at you know serving in Flint, and he gets a call to a bigger congregation. Or different things who've spotted his I'm about it in quotes talent mm-hmm. and what they're doing is drawing him away from where God has made him effective right. they want him up to uh, but what if it was to use those talents and those gifts at their congregation to, to serve that purpose that way they would be uh, it would be hard for me to believe they would be serving the same purpose I sure. would say they're they're taking those talents and they want to channel them to other purposes and so and then you're leaving behind a hole you know who's going to fill the hole you just walked away from because um, not just anybody can do those kinds of things also understanding that it's God's church and God's ministries and God's work right and I think sometimes I think it's it's very easy for pastor I I'm not, and I, I don't know. You want to see me get in trouble? Sure. The easiest thing to do is just ask your wife. <laughs> well, yeah, that's true too. But um, I, I hope I, you heard the cynicism. But I also, there. but I also don't. Um, I don't. I don't think it's right for for pastors to not take a call and then say, "Well, who's going to fill in for me if I leave?" I don't think that that's. I think at that point you're saying I'm I'm irreplaceable and God can't find or call someone that's as good as I was. I think I think that there's there can be a little. I bit think of, sometimes you know that the day and a half after you walk out of the door, well, things yes, are going to collapse. Sure, I and I I'm just I'm just saying that, that that shouldn't be the only right. That shouldn't be the only factor. I think that that's that's a that's not a that's not a good spot to be in. I. Or, our, uh, our district president once told me. He said, "As soon as you start to feel that you are perfect, you are perfect. You are, you are perfectly suited. Um, that you're, you know, everything is going well. That you're, that yes, absolutely, God's, you know, of course, God called me here. As soon as you start to feel like that, you really need to reevaluate, yeah. <laughs> because that's at that point Satan's got a hold of you and is saying and is using that pride and arrogance to potentially become destructive." So before we kick into the uh, two realms thing, I'm going to take us way back to page 223, um, 222. Uh, 223, the author says, the real church exists in, in and for the world. He's not saying the church should be worldly, but the purpose of the church is to follow Christ into the world take on its burdens and sufferings, not for its own sake, but for the world's sake. 
uh, as Christ gave himself up for the church, the church should be giving itself up for the world. Um, so when we start talking about uh, realms, uh, and Bonhoeffer and realms, I mean, remember his overarching view of the church is uh, engagement, Christian engagement with the world, not accommodation with the world. So back to 368, talks about and really hammers two realms thinking. So what he's expressing here is the idea that the church is in one realm, God and the church and Christ are in one realm, and the rest of everything is in the other realm. God has nothing to do, everything to do with the church in that realm. He has nothing to do with the, the worldly realm. So we don't, what he's expressing is not a condemnation of the two kingdoms theology, because he's not even talking about that, but. Right, so there's uh, two kingdoms, or you might hear the left-hand kingdom and the right-hand kingdom. And um, basically what that is, um, the left-hand kingdom is more like uh, worldly governments, worldly powers, rulers, and stuff like that. Um, and then there's the right-hand kingdom, which is God's you know, sovereignty, God's power over everything created, the kingdom of grace, um, salvation belongs to the Lord, all that kind of okay. good stuff. And then, but they're not separated because the Lord, or because God um, is still active in the left-hand kingdom, in the kingdom of this world, even when he doesn't appear to be active. He's still in control of this world. He doesn't you know, leave this world to do whatever um, by itself, but he is actively involved in this world as well as okay. the right-hand kingdom. So God is at work in both. He's operating in both in the right-hand kingdom. Um, he's operating in and through the church, right? In and through and maybe for the church. In the left-hand kingdom, he's using... Um, various secular and whatever uh, institutions and leaders also to uh, complete his will or to make his make his will done so they are separate except that the purpose of the right hand kingdom is um, to be God's operative force in the left hand kingdom or how can you be salt and light if you separate yourself and don't participate in the secular world? So we are sometimes are described as having two citizenships, right? Citizenship in the kingdom of God and a citizenship in whatever, in our case is America. One has um, a higher calling on us than the other, but nevertheless we are Christians in America in order to do what? To love our neighbors, to bring to bring the gospel to the world. I didn't say be Christ. Yeah. Be, be grace, be forgiveness, be all those things. Be all those things that, that Paul talks talks about in First Corinthians thirteen. Be patient, be kind, be not be envious, not be boastful. Um, all those things that embody that are embodied in in Christ, and I, I think I think sometimes you know the, the church wants to say 
I don't, and I don't, and I'm not saying this because I think you're wrong, Nick. But I think sometimes we say, well, yeah, our job is to bring Jesus to people. You know, it's it to me, it's more than that. To me, it's it's not only to bring Jesus to people, but it's to be Jesus to people and to serve Christ by serving others. Right? I mean, that's what we say every every Wednesday at Family of God. How do we serve the Lord by serving each other? I just sometimes think that gets that gets lost, and then. Well, we're told to bring Jesus to people. Then it's up to you, essentially, to do with do with it what you want. And uh, I, the church is more than just a is more than just a delivery system. Uh, the the church has a responsibility to to be to be Christ. And so I I, I, I totally get what you mean. And just it's more to me. It's just it's more than that. I was kind of getting at that when I said we are to love our neighbors. Yeah. And then, like you said, just unpacking that is yeah, being be, Christ to others be Jesus yeah right. being Jesus that's what I meant but yeah. be the refuge be the be that place in the midst of of turmoil um, be the you know we always talk about family of God being a, a field hospital right so you be be the be the place of of refuge for people to come to when they are battered and and broken and limbs are are falling off quite literally sometimes and and be that be that place that they that they come and and that people that don't know who jesus is where they encounter jesus through you and through the church so especially as we uh operate down here but loving our neighbor is actually our primary witness sacraments preaching the word i don't want to say they're secondary but if they're not preceded by and uh, bound up in the demonstration of the love of Christ through loving our neighbor, then they tend to be empty words and empty ceremonies. So, so that's when I asked Tyler to explain the golden question. Showing compassion and service, and we'll do that as, as often as we need to until somebody finally asks us what Pastor Hill has, has donned as the golden question, and that's why why are you doing what you're doing and you know why are you why is someone from Ann Arbor coming coming to driving an hour plus to to be with someone like me why why is there a group why is there a church driving from Bay City to be with someone like me why is it why is somebody coming up from from Monroe to be with me why why is why is there a, a family who is coming to us every single Sunday after spending all day at church with their family and then they come down with their as a family well it's a, it's a, a mother and daughter that come to, to be with the kids why why are they here for for someone like me my one of my favorites though is when someone says well why is Pastor Jim doing that for that person doesn't he know what he's done and you know that's that's that opportunity then to to, to share to to deliver, to bring that good news, um, but you have you have made that possible because of the fact that you have loved your neighbor, and and compassion authenticates the the response. So they see your love in action, and so when they ask you why is it that you're doing what you're doing, they've already seen that. So when you tell them why, they know that it's genuine. They know that it's real, and they're going to be more apt then to respond to the spirit when the spirit reveals Christ to them through us. And when they ask that question, they actually want to know the answer. Right. That's the opening. 
So doesn't Pastor Hill or Pastor Jim know what that person's doing? The quick draw answer is yes, and he knows what you've been doing too. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but I would never pull that gun, but yeah. So he's bringing up these two realms. That's probably where we're going to end up today because that's the reality of traditional Lutheranism in Germany was to, the church is the church and the world is the world, and we've talked about this multiple times. I I go to church. I do churchly things. You know, I send my kids to uh, confirmation, but within only within that small box am I a Christian. Yeah. Outside that box, you can't tell any difference between me and your typical pagan or atheist. I mean this in two ways. We tend to be closet Christians. What do you think the first way I meant it was, Nick? We like to hide. <laughs> I don't know. Like, yeah. We don't want to show it off. Right. You know, we want right. to, I'm a Christian, but I don't want everybody to know it. Yeah. Almost. Right. Secret Christians. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm hiding it from you, but the other way I meant is I want to keep God in this closet, in this box where I can, or at least I think I can control him. So, like, okay, from 8 o'clock till noon, Lord, you have all my attention. Well, sort of. <laughs> but Unless the rest of the week. A football game in London. Yeah. But the rest of the week, no. No. And, of course, when, again, just to reiterate, when uh, Bonhoeffer's talking about the reality of, of both realms, that reality is defined by the cross. Everything is Christological, as far as he's concerned. Uh, Can I read, or maybe, maybe you, I just really love, because I had a bookmarked on page 370. Are you at 370 yet? Yep. The, the, the excerpt from Ethics that he writes here that, that the author of this book includes. I just think it's, I think it's great, because essentially it's, this is, what Dietrich is doing is defining this relationship between God and the world, which he says leads him to reject this idea of thinking in the two realms, which is the, oh, I can do, you can do this on this, there, yeah, it, that, compart- that compartmentalization. Um, can, I, can I just go ahead and read that? Because I, yeah. I think it's pertinent for, for people to understand. So, yeah, I'll read the whole thing. I'm a good reader, I think. It is dense, but here we go. In Christ, we are invited to participate in the reality of God and the reality of the world at the same time, the one not without the other. The reality of God is disclosed only as it places me completely into the reality of the world. But I find the reality of the world already born, accepted, and reconciled in the reality of God. That is the mystery of the revelation of God in the human being, Jesus Christ. The Christian ethic asks then how this reality of God and of the world that is given in Christ becomes real in our world. It is not as if, quote, our world, unquote, were something outside this God world reality that is in Christ, as if it did not already belong to the world born, accepted, and reconciled in Christ. It is not, therefore, as if some, quote, principle, unquote, must first be applied to our circumstances and our time. Rather, the question is how the reality in Christ, which has long embraced us and our world within itself, works here and now, or, in other words, how life is to be lived in it. What matters is participating in the reality of God and the world in Jesus Christ today, and doing so in a way that I never experienced the reality of God without the reality of the world, nor the reality of the world 
without the reality of God. I just love I just love that because what he's doing is essentially he's blowing up what churches have done and what I think churches have have been very tempted to do over over the last over the last generation which has been there's a separation of of I mean really there's a separation between the world and the church and um, you act this way a certain it kind of goes back to cheap grace to, yeah. to me right you can act a certain way but as long as you come to church and receive that grace receive that forgiveness as long as you're here as long as you come here this is that day people love to to believe and and, and behave in one way at church and be all super religious I don't like that term but that's what I'm using to be so churchy and and oh God is God is my best friend and they're you know hands up in, in worship and and then they go out and it's they they're they're in church every Sunday but then nobody like we say go back to that closet the, the closet Christian nobody knows they go to church every Sunday they're shocked to find out that this person goes to church because there is no merging Bonhoeffer is very clear that there is no there is no separation between these two realms there is there is one there is one there is no secular and worldly there is one you can't which is which is why I've been so so much for pushing against all you know this giving in to worldly things because there you know there, there's a there's a time and a place and I'm like no all all things are God's that's true so uh, 372 maybe we start to wrap up yeah. for Bonhoeffer it says this was problematic for two reasons the two realms idea um, it made it possible to talk about the separation of the church from politics. Mm-hmm. What was that from? Sound familiar? Yeah. With the implication that the church had nothing to do with the secular world, or that would limit the church's role in the world. And secondly, said one could be led to view or accept the idea that the church is a refuge from the world. Drops down a few more sentences and says, Hitler was welcoming the silence of the church in matters political. In other words, he could do whatever he wanted to do unchallenged. Because right. uh, the church wouldn't say, wouldn't say anything. Yeah, it wouldn't take a stand. Yeah. And this is talking about, this is after Hitler had been in power, uh, I think, eight, nine, ten years. And so some of the, the highly negative things well, say it another way. The very positive things. He's going to save the economy. He's going to drive out the communists. He's going to restore our, our national pride, excuse me, et cetera, et cetera. By now, he's got them enwrapped in World War II, and it's not going well. And, yeah, the, the dream is being shattered, but the church remains silenced during all that time. Mm-hmm. So maybe we should end with, we're going to talk about resistance, right? Yep. So can you describe for us the spoke in the wheel? Because I'm going to say introduction, introductory, the church, the organized formal church in Germany, was not a spoke in the wheel. So Dietrich gives a, he gives a very clear, again, this is just for review, because it's been a while since we've mentioned the, the spoke in the wheels of injustice, which is what Dietrich essentially is calling the church to, to do. But he gives when he's talking about the the state and kind of what the church's response to uh, to tyranny, um, 
and, and what he says, he kind of he kind of gives three three options. So the first option, well, the first responsibility, I guess, for the for the church with regard to the state, he writes first, as we have said, questioning the state as to the legitimate state character of its actions. That is making the state responsible for what it does. So, in other words, the church has a responsibility to to ask questions. The church has a responsibility to push back a little bit. The church has a responsibility to say, "Oh, are we? Are, you're making us do this. That's not in God's word. How come we're, you're making us do that?" And push back a little bit. Oh, you're making us do this. Well, that's harming children. So why are why are we told to do this? Ask ask those questions. The church has a responsibility to ask those kinds of questions. He then writes, second is the is service to the victims of the state's actions. So when the state ignores the pushing back from the church and continues to, to do hurtful and harmful things, the church has a responsibility and an obligation then to also to not just say, well, told you so, but to actually uh, to service the victims, to bandage the wounds of those who have been run over. But then lastly, he gets to this, which is where we get to, to the, the wheel. The third thing and the third responsibility of the church is not just to bind up the wounds of the victims beneath the wheel, but to seize the wheel itself. And he talks about, essentially, if you have to drive a stake or drive a spoke into those wheels as the, as the, the wagon of the, that is on those wheels is riding towards children is riding towards the next generation, is riding towards violence, and it's going to explode. And you know that it's going to explode. And if you don't if you do not do whatever you can to stop that train from rolling, then your responsibility is to do that. You need to do that. You need to do everything that you can to stop the wheel, even if it means putting yourself, putting yourself down there hmm. and, and to resist. Well, each, each, each of those stages, I would call them stages, um, are at some risk, but the last one is especially... Yeah, well, because the, the last one could cost you your life. Right. And cost you everything that you have. And that's so, why it leads into resistance. Which is why it leads into resistance, which is what we will talk about next week. So we hope that that's been, that's been a, a good listen for everybody. As we talked about uh, ethics and the, the Christian ethic with regard to the, the kingdoms and how, how are we to operate, how do we discern... And things like that. Um, that was a that seemed to be a good conversation. We hope that you that that was fruitful for you. Next week we're gonna probably get canceled. So uh, <laughs> that's gonna be that's gonna be fun. I'm all about I'm all about Christian resistance and and things like that. So uh, the the back half of this chapter is really good, and we're excited to discuss that with you. Uh, if you haven't had a chance yet, make sure that you go to uh, our website www.fogdetroit.com. You can certainly find uh, some good stuff over there. Um, find ways to donate, find ways to be involved with the ministry. Uh, We certainly uh, are grateful for each and every person that does all of that already, and we're excited for for what God has in store for us. Uh, Do us a favor, too. If if you're uh, already a a regular listener and you want to give a give a, a review uh, and, a, and a star rating we certainly welcome the five stars uh, it kind of helps helps people that are also interested in, in Dietrich and kind of the, the the Christian podcast kind of a kind of a deal uh, we welcome that as well it makes that uh, easier for them to find so we will talk with everyone next week if no one has told you yet God loves you and so do we take care everybody have a great weekend